Now hear the word of the Lord from Mark 9, 14 through 29. If you have a worship center Bible, you can find the text on page 844. This is Mark 14 through 29. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing, arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I have brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. There's uh, about six months worth of good preaching in that text. We've got about uh, just a few minutes together. I love this text because I think it speaks to our our regular experience of where we live in the struggle of faith. Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. He'd been there with Peter and James and John. Charles preached on that a couple of Sundays ago. And this wonderful mountaintop experience in which they're in the cloud of God's glory and they hear the Father's voice and they see Moses and Elijah. In other words, they have a, a moment where the other realm is made translucent to them, and they see the glory and the majesty of God. They then, so great, Peter wants to say, let's just stay right here. And, and, but they have to go back. They have to go back down the mountain. And when they get to the bottom of the mountain, what do they find? Well, they find the chaos, the confusion. They find the terror and the despair of everyday life. And into this situation they walk where there is a young man who is deeply distressed, who is under the influence and control of a dark force, and his father is longing for his liberation. The father is troubled. He is struggling over the state of his son. 
And he famously says, I believe. Help my unbelief. Those are lines about faith that every one of us can relate to because there are moments where we have doubts, fears, and questions. Other times where we think our faith is strong. And so we live with that admixture of both faith and doubt. I believe. Help my unbelief. But the context for I believe, help my unbelief, is a parent struggling over the state of their child. Now I want to remind you about a couple of things about this context. This child is a covenant child. This is in Israel. This young young boy would have been circumcised on the eighth day, he would have grown up in the synagogue, would have heard the scriptures read, heard the rabbis preach. And yet despite all of that, he's still in a situation where these dark forces have gotten a grip on him. And it says that they would throw him into the fire. So this isn't some person that's outside the covenant community. This is not a child either. Jesus says, how long has this been going on? And he says, since he was a child. In other words, he's, he's considerably older. Think 15, 16, somewhere in that vicinity. This young man who's so tied up. And then Jesus says words which really form the, the title of the message for us today. Bring him to me. Bring him to me. There's that poignant, amazing, beautiful moment in the musical version of Victor Hugo's Les Mis where Jean Valjean prays, bring him home. Bring him home. That is the music of Jesus' words. Bring him to me. As parents, we take our children many places. We bring them to many places. We bring them to see remarkable athletic feats. We, we take them to see incredible architecture. We take them to see remarkable musical presentations. We, we bring them many places and to many people. But there's no more important person to bring them to than Jesus. Jesus said, bring him to me. I heard an interview a couple of weeks ago with a man who was university professor, major university professor in Los Angeles. He was also an adjunct teacher helping out at a Christian school. And he had the seniors in his class ask their parents, what is the one thing you want for me more than anything else? Now, it's a Christian school. What's the one thing you want for me more than anything else? And the vast majority answer that the kids brought back from the parents was, We want you to be happy. Happy. No one answered holy. No one answered miserable but saved. Happy. Now, of course, you could make the argument that ultimate happiness is found in Christ. But really, that answer, we just want you to be happy, reflects the fact that probably the adult culture had been baptized into an American success culture that valued personal happiness above God's will. Because God's will can sometimes in our lives look hard and difficult and challenging. And yet it is His will. 
parents, grandparents, do you this morning have covenant children who, like this young man, are being thrown into the fire? You see, I believe that the generation that's in front of us, millennial generation, generation Z, sociologists call the rising generation, those who are about 13, 14, 15 coming up, I believe it's a Daniel generation, a generation of great destiny. That if we are living in a season of exile, that means we've got Daniels among us. We've got Jeremiah's and we've got Ezekiel's and we've got Nehemiah's among us and we've got Esther's among us. That's what's rising in this next generation. And I believe the enemy hates them and he keeps trying to throw them into the fire and take over their lives. And you can see this, this activity of darkness accelerating in their lives. I mentioned this last week. That between 2006 and 2016, the suicide rate for ages 10 to 17, grew in this country by 70%. I sat this last week with Mark and Jamie, our student ministry leaders, and our summer interns. I said, just come in, sit down, let's talk for an hour. I want you to tell me about the fires the young people are being thrown into. It says it kept casting them into the fire. Tell me about the fires. I want to talk to you this morning about the fires in the faith. Let's talk about the fires. And they said to me, the biggest single issue in the life of the 14, 15, 16-year-olds we talk to is isolation. Isolation. That was fascinating to me. And they are giving expression to what they feel is an overwhelming sense of loneliness. Last year, the BBC conducted what they called the Loneliness Project. And this was a global study. And what they said, this is the BBC, not a religious organization. Their research came back and said 60% of teenagers globally report an overwhelming sense of loneliness and isolation. And what we discovered is that as a culture, we've never been more virtually connected, but more relationally degraded. I said, how is it that they, they express this sense of isolation, this sense of loneliness, what's in their lives? And they say they constantly go back to the screens, and in the screens, whether it's Snap Stories or Instagram models, they see the, the images of success and beauty. This is my life. This is my home. This is how great it is. And they inevitably feel in themselves that they can't measure up. They can't compare to what they're seeing. And this comparing leads to depression. And the depression leads to self-harm. And they see it over and over and over again. And they're asking, this is from your student ministry team, two big questions. I got to know who I am and I've got to know that I'm loved. Those are their two big questions. Who am I and am I loved? Well, questions about whether or not you are loved and questions about who you are. That's what I call an open door for the gospel if there ever was one. Bring him to me. 
So Jesus steps into the darkness of this moment. He steps into the confusion and the terror and the fear of this moment. He brings to it his grace, his mercy, his power. The Father says, if you can do anything here, please do it. Have compassion. And the word that he uses for compassion, have compassion on us, is the word, some of you will remember this, it's from Mark chapter 1, same words used, where Jesus met a leper, and it's what Jesus was feeling inside of him. And the man says, I want you to have, here's the word, some of you will remember it, splagnitzomai on us. It means to have your guts torn up. I need you, Jesus. I need to know that you are torn up inside over the state of my son. And Jesus says, if I can, all things are possible to those who believe. And that's when the man cries out, I believe. Help my unbelief. Let's talk about faith. Sometimes people think to walk by faith, to live by faith, means that you're just constantly living at this very high level of assurance. That you just know everything's going to work out. That everything is just fine. But I believe, help my unbelief, is a confession all of us can relate to because we all struggle at times with doubts and questions. Your pastor has doubts. Your pastor has questions. I've wrestled with them all my life. And the task of faith is not to present easy answers to difficult questions. It's to introduce people to the mystery of who God is. And sometimes the more you get to know God, the more questions you have. And then you find your doubts resolved in the beauty and the majesty of who He is. But you know, doubt went right along with the disciples all through their lives. You know, it's fascinating. In Matthew 28, Jesus, after being raised from the dead, taught his disciples for 40 days. And then he brought them out to the Mount, Mount, Mount of Olives and he ascends into heaven. And just before it does, it says he gathered them together. He gave them the great commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. He's standing there, nail-pierced hands, nail-pierced feet, side ripped open by a Roman spear. He's standing there, raised from the dead, 40 days after being raised from the dead. And it says, as the disciples gathered around him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Can you imagine standing there, seeing the resurrected Jesus and going, yeah, I don't know, I'm not sure. I'm, I don't know, man. I'm not sure. And then he ascends and you go, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I'm not, not sure on some days. I believe. Help my unbelief. But that's particularly true when it comes to our kids, to our children. We know our children stand in a unique relationship to God. That's why we baptize them. Because we're commanded to make disciples by baptizing and teaching. And so we baptize them. We acknowledge, as Peter said on the day of Pentecost, that the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as God shall call. So it includes our children. Your children are holy. Isaiah promised that the sons and daughters would be brought from afar. We know that this is the promise of God. But sometimes when we go, I look at the book and I see the promise, but then I I look at my kid and I see the fire. 
He keeps getting thrown in the fire. Jesus, I need you to help me. Help me. I need you to help my son. I need you to help my daughter. They need to know who they are. They need to know that they're loved. Listen, friends. There are no undiscipled children. The only question is by whom they're being discipled and into what. And they will either be discipled by nine hours a day of this and constant immersion in the community that tells them their values, or they will be discipled by Jesus himself who will call them to follow him no matter what the cost is and show them how much they're loved and help them discover that their identity is not in their sexuality, their identity is not in their possessions, their identity is, is, is not in their accomplishments. They are in Christ Jesus. He is their life. And they are loved. And you are loved. Because what you find out about identity and love is this. <laughs> For some of you, that confession of sin this morning, you kind of, some of you are doing that going, that's a bit strong. Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I sinned, but that's kind of strong. Uh, you don't know how bad you are. You are, in the words of the old song, bad to the bone. If you're breathing, you're sinning. You just don't know the truth that Luther so exquisitely gave to us when he summarized it this way. Simul justus et peccator. At the same time, just and sinners. We are sinners, but we are made just by the blood of Christ. We don't know, quoting Tim Keller now, how, how bad we are but how deeply loved we are and called just and holy and called children. And so Jesus steps in, bring him to me. You see, sometimes you're going to have faith in Jesus, but sometimes you have to have faith for other people. And that's where the struggle lies. Your faith probably for yourself is okay this morning. Just speak to you pastorally. My faith in Jesus is okay, but my faith for this child, I'm struggling. This faith for my grandchild, I'm sorry, my faith here is okay, but my faith for, my faith in, but my faith for is struggling. I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus steps into this and he brings his grace and his mercy, his overturned heart into the situation, and he frees that boy. And then it says when he was set free, he looked like a corpse. I'm going to tell you something, parents, grandparents, when God gets to work with your kids, it's going to look worse before it looks better. He looked like a corpse. And then it says Jesus came over to this corpse-like boy, and he took him by the hand, and it says, the scripture says this, he arose. The son that looked like a corpse arose into his father's arms. 
And in that moment, my friends, there was a prophecy. Because this event takes place about a week, just a little while before Jesus will go to the cross and they will lay his body down. And then the Son of God will arise and come home to his Father. And my friends, in the resurrection of Jesus and his return to the Father, in that act of Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead and rising to his Father, is the promise that our children too, even though today they look dead, will come alive and come home to the Father. My friends, I want to encourage you today. There's a power that has to be released for this that is not in us. Our hope for the liberation of the next generation is not in the perfect parents or the persuasive powers of preachers. There are no perfect parents and there are no preachers persuasive enough Our hope is in the power of the Spirit and the power of the gospel rooted in the promises of God in Christ. And that is why when our faith feels weak, we must remember, listen to this, that even if our faith feels weak, faith is a gift that grows It's a gift that is given to us, but it's a fruit that grows and it will grow strong. But while it's growing and you're saying, I I don't know what to do, I, I feel so much doubt, so many questions. Remember, the issue is not the strength of your faith. The issue is the strength of the object of your faith. And you do not have faith in faith, you have faith in Christ the unchanging, unconquerable, unstoppable, powerful, mighty Son of God, your rock, your strong tower, your deliverer, the God of your fathers, the God of your children, the God of your grandchildren, the God who says to fathers and mothers and sons and daughters, I will be your God and you will be my people. Our faith may be weak, our God is strong. It is not a question of whether or not we can hold on, it's the fact that He holds on. And when you know that, that this God who holds you can hold your kids, then you can take him or her and you can do what Jesus says here. Bring him to me. Bring him to me. You can't fix them. You can't deliver them. Just give them to me. I... I, I wish I had a really good story to go with my three points in a poem this morning to finish this up. But you know what? Jesus said this kind only goes out by prayer. So what we need to do is pray. We're going to pray for our children. We're going to pray for our grandchildren. And I asked Tony to lead us in prayer today to do that.